Well, welcome to First Thought. Um, this is, it will be, a podcast by Galway International Arts Festival. And my name's Tiernan Henry and I host uh, this extravaganza called Vinyl Ours, which is essentially a series of conversations that we've been having with artists and creatives, tracing a musical journey uh, through the soundtracks of their lives. Tom Waits reckons that songs are really just interesting things to be doing with the air. And on vinyl hours, we think talking about them isn't too shabby either, um, even if it's only bravado in the world of the Blue Nile. So you can listen to everything that we're going to be talking about on Galway International Arts Festival's Spotify page. And if you like what you hear, please consider making a donation to the Galway International Arts Festival, a non-profit organisation bringing the arts to people in Ireland and around the world. Head to giaf.ie and click donate. But for tonight, we're going to talk to Philip King, and what can we say about Philip? Well, he's from Cork, but lives in Kerry. And I think we could wrap the show up just there with that comment. That's right. But what else? We could be here all day reading his CV, uh, but he's a producer, a director, a broadcaster, a musician, a singer. He's a founding member of the Rolling and Rattling Scullion. He's the soothing voice of the South Wind Blows. He's kick-started other voices, which are on tonight in St. Nick's, and he's brought it all back home. But for today, we're here to talk about some of the songs, the tunes, and the music that moves them. So without further ado, could you please give a big welcome to Philip King. Thank you very much. Philip, it's great to have you here. Thank you so much for doing this. And you've, uh, we'll be playing snippets of the, of the songs that, and the tunes that Philip's given us um, over the next while. And it, it's, it's a fascinating, distinctive list of tunes and music you've sure. given us. And it's a real invitation, I think, which I think for us, it's a gift to us because it's an invitation into what you're listening to sure. and, and to what, you know, stimulates you, I guess, and, and gives you a kick in the head or makes you want to dance or sure. makes you want to think about things. Yes. Um, so I suppose maybe the, should we just start maybe with the first tune um, or do you want to say a little bit about it first? Because we were going to start with the Dan and track. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just lovely to be in Galway. Yeah. Lovely to be back in Galway. I spent a lot of time here. And I spent a lot of time with the late Alec Finn um, and with Dave Allen um, in the mid-70s up to the, sort of, into the, into the 80s and travelled with them and um, had a great time. And Galway was always that sort of, you know, powerfully vibrant music town, music city, really. And I remember those days in... Druid was beginning, you know, the, that little front room of the Keys was the only room in the bar. And if you went across the road to Nocton's, you had to knock on the door and Jimmy would let you in if he liked you, and if he didn't, he wouldn't. Um, but I heard some of the greatest music I've ever heard, and I've been on a musical expedition since I was a child. So I thought we'd start with music from oh, what I think is probably, you know, one of the top three records of Irish traditional music ever made. Um, it's The Miscovered Mountain. And on this record, um, Charlie Pickett was still playing the banjo with the band. Mm -hmm. uh, Jackie Daly had joined the band. And um, Tom Fighting Tom was singing and Alec accompanying him in that sort of remarkable way that he did. And Sean O'Connor was singing as well. Avakathuma Hamishin but there is a track at the end of the record that is so vibrant and powerful. Um, and what there is here is, I think, just an enormous energy, 
really. And that filigree thing that Alec did, um, sort of seemingly effortlessly, that it, it, like I often asked him, how do you do that? He said, I don't know, it just, it just, it just happens. And so it's um, Langstrom's, Langstrom's Pony. Um, and just if you listen to just the very beginning of the thing, it's the attack, if you like, the way it jumps right into your heart. If you ever want to, to, to find a record of music and singing that is of its place and is timeless, yeah. um, it's, it, it's that record for me. And um, Alec painted the cover as well, all the birds on the cover. So it was the complete thing if you like, and um, it came out on the Guaylin record label, and it was just one of those things that, and I always have it with me, one way or the other, um, as a reminiscence about Galway, but something about the heart and the purity of traditional music that speaks so eloquently and naturally to me. And th that tradition, was that tradition part of what you grew up with, or is it something that you kind of grew into? Well, I grew up in Cork City, and yeah. Cork City, I mean, um, John Reedy lived up the road, um, who became Sean O'Reilly. Yeah. His mother, Mrs. Reedy, and my mother used to go to quarter past ten mass in St. Augustine's, get the number ten bus. Um, and so there was this man living up the street. Um, Seamus Murphy was living in Cork. The legacy of Frank O'Connor was still there, and that old sort of Cork musical society thing and James N. Healy and that. And then, of course, Rory Gallagher was living in Cork mm. as well. So, I mean, there was, there, there was like a tradition of singing in Cork. You could call it quite a singing city. And if you listen to the accent, it's quite sing-songy. Yeah. You know, those goes up and down like that. You know, so it's, it's, there's something about it. There's some, so the notes of music that were dropped into my ear um, were, um, you know, wonderful and very various yeah. um, and I've been very lucky really that I never categorise anything that's not just that or that it's all music to me yeah. and somehow in my own expedition everything was interconnected one way yeah. or another um, Shane Seeney once said to me he said that translation is the way of playing a new tune on the old keyboard of tradition yeah. and I know exactly what he means um, and didn't Costello just say yeah. recently about that song, um, one of his recent songs, he said, we, everyone always makes new toys from old pleasures. That's right. So everything just gets reworked. And he said, please rework it if you want, you know. That's right, the Spanish yeah. version, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, that, that's right. And I mean, there, there's a case in point of we go off down an alleyway here now because um, I worked with Elvis a lot and we made the Juliet letters together mm. and we worked with Bert Bacharach. But again, at his heart, um, the amount of music that fell into us here as a boy, uh, yeah. from his father and his mother. His father was the, um, was the trumpet player and the singer with the Joe Loss Orchestra. So all the charts were on the floor every week as they learned yeah. what they had to learn for the dance next Saturday night. Yeah. You had to play the hits of the day, you know. And of course, Irish music mutated like that in America as well. Yeah. They'd left here in the heads and the hands and feet of migrants, economic migrants, and it reconstituted itself in different keys, in different time signatures, um, in the great cities of the, I suppose, the eastern seaboard mm -hmm. of the United States, yeah. you know, Chicago, Boston, Philadelphia, and New York, yeah. Tin Pan Alley, we were just talking about it a little earlier on. And you've brought up the states, which is, because this brings us to the, we'll, we'll take the next two tracks yeah. together, essentially, yeah, yeah. because they work, well, you'll understand them when we play them, essentially. But it, 
the thing I suppose that links them to me is the harmonica. That's right. Th yeah. These are two harmonica tracks, yeah. and um, uh, and it's a funny thing. This was something that confused me when I was a lot younger. I remember you used to hear about angels and their harps. Yeah. And to me, the harp was this thing. Yeah. And I think that was a much nicer thing for angels to have rather than the stringed instrument was to be able to haul out the harmonica yeah. and play that. You know. The thing about the harmonica, you know. It's portable music, really. I mean, yeah. it's a little thing you keep in your pocket. I always have one, you know. And I, 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 I got one because I, I, you know, I heard little Walter play the harmonica, the great Chicago um, harmonica player. And there's so much. So whether it was a cowboy playing "Home, Home on the Range," or whether it was like a African American, you know, playing that electrified electrifying sound of yeah. the harmonica. Yeah. And I, I, I've chosen two sort of, well, not odd pieces, really, but the first one's quite odd. It's Captain Beefheart and his magic band, a man who deconstructed the blues, really, um, in California. He was, along with Frank Zappa and others, mm -hmm. you know, quite out there in terms of, you know, what he went about. But in the early recordings, particularly the first album, Safe as Milk, uh, Ry Cooter was playing on that record. Um, he became more experimental. But this tune always, I, I loved this tune because there's a line in the song, he says, give me that harp, boy, there ain't no children's toy. Right? So um, I, it sort of seemed to give back some mojo yeah. to the harmonica, to the harp itself. Yeah. And of course then, um, there was, there, there, there's something quite angry in him and um, he was always experimenting and always deconstructing and always pulling things apart. Mm -hmm. So we can hear that and then we might segue or into the second tune, which is one I think that you'll yeah. all know. So if we um, go three and two, that's the order we do them. Is that okay? Yeah. 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 So yeah. The, it's the it's on the road again. Yeah. Um, with with um, Al the Owl Wilson um, playing the harmonica, which is just so compelling and it has all the qualities of a classic recording. You could have played it 50 years ago when it came out, or you play it today, and it's as good as current and Still as pertinent as, as yeah. ever it was. Yeah. So, so it's canned heat, yeah, so, essentially. So here we go. Yeah. Well, my dear mother left me when I was quite young, yeah. when I was quite young. There's, you know, and of course, <clears throat> it is the blues, really. And I always found that the, the blues and the channels had yeah. uh, that, sort of, that sort of cathartic sort of power in them. And when you listen to the vulnerability of Al Wilson's voice, that high falsetto mm -hmm. sound, and the beautiful harp, and the, as I said, the propulsive sound of the rhythm section, um, I just find something very emotional and very powerful um, in that and, music. And, and very inviting. I, yeah. I think, again, like you were saying about Beefheart, yeah. like Beefheart has, you know, he has, probably has a right, rightly the reputation of being an awkward musical person. Yes. But it's astonishing when you listen to any Beefheart stuff, how much of it is so beautiful. Yeah, he brings you in and then he does all the weird stuff in <laughs> yeah. the four or five tracks in. But it's that, you can hear that root, that kind of yeah. howling wolf root in yeah. the two of them, you know, that kind of Chicago yeah. blues. Kind and the of Chicago thing, you know. thing, of course, and then, of course, the country blues yeah. became, became um, 
I suppose the urban blues and the electric blues of Chicago, you yeah. know, when the people migrated out from the Delta all the way up the Mississippi, found themselves, like a lot of Irish people, yeah. I mean, Captain Francis O'Neill, I mean, wrote down all of the Irish music in America, and in O'Neill's 1001, he was the chief of police in Chicago, and this music was being played at the same time. And I can't but remember, you know, just, just a thought came into my head there, Tiernan, and I was thinking about Langston Hughes, you know, um, the, great, the, the great Harlem poet, and he said, um, there's one of those poems that's stuck in my head. I've got those sad old weary blues. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I wonder if I should get a gun and put myself away. I wonder if one bullet would do. As hard as my head is, it would probably take two. But I ain't got neither bullet nor gun, and I'm too blue to look for one. So the blues is always a salve and a sucker for me, but I also, I, it always brings me home. Mm -hmm. the blues and you know when I hear Sean O'Connor sing or when I hear Irlo Leonard sing or you know it's or Dolores sing you know and Rita and Sarah sing you know it's all shot through with that sense of longing and loss really yeah and I, it, there's a, a again we were talking briefly earlier about George Saunders the American author he's sure. written, he's written a book about uh, how, to, how to read Russian short stories, and which is really funny. It's a really really funny book. But in in one in he he said that that one of the reasons he likes them, he said the stories are simple, clear, and elemental. And I was thinking that works so much for a lot of the music that we're talking about tonight, mm -hmm. but for music in general. Do you know, it it it, it you can we can intellectualize it rightly, mm -hmm. um, but we can also just enjoy it because we react to it when it is simple and elemental. That's right. Do you know, and I think you're, you're right about both the blues, but also the Irish tradition you've been yeah. talking about as well. Well, I mean, you know, the blues grows from somewhere and shadows yeah. grows from somewhere and it usually probably grows from a sense of loss yeah. um, or exclusion or difficulty. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a way of, I suppose, cauterizing some of that um, and making us feel a little bit better. By, by, by singing out, if you, yeah. if you know what I mean. I think Pete Seeger certainly believed that to be true. And obviously it's a connection then because people can connect to it because they're singing about emotions or they're singing about things right. that everyone that's experienced. Right. So there's, yeah, yeah. A, there's a root right in there for everyone. That's go, right. Yeah, that's me. That's yeah. my, where I am right now or whatever, <laughs> you know. So, yes. you know. Yeah. And we're, we want to move, we're going to jump yeah. way forward for your next track, which is to Leeds basically to, to Leeds last year or this year, yeah. I guess, you know. Um, um, this is a band called Yard Act, and there are four spiky young fellows from Leeds, probably in their early 20s, and yeah. just in and out of probably university. And um, they're, 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 there's a coolness about them, but there is a real anger. And Frank Hart, the, the ballad singer and great ballad collector, used to say to me, he said, if you want to know the facts, consult the history book. If you want to know what it felt like, ask a singer. Yeah. And I was thinking of what Frank said um, as I listened to this for the first time recently. And um, just have a listen to it. Um, it. It's probably in the tradition of The Clash and a little bit of sort of something else in there as well. But there's real, real palpable anger here. So this is four lads from Leeds on their way in the music business and they're called Yard Act. Yeah. There is a, a sort of, a, I, I think, a, a remarkable change taking place yeah. um, in that country and, 
you know, it is, it is just so full of difficulty right now that I think it doesn't know its place in the world anymore. And I think that there are people, again, like these young lads, who encapsulate, if you like, a, a very simple message of displeasure and discontent and no, just not being happy with their lot. Yeah, and, you know, and they say it so eloquently. Yeah, and in a very simple sort of way. I mean, you know, it, it, there's obviously it's extremely modern music. It's it's bang up to date music, yeah. but it's in a tradition, the tradition that we've been talking about, the, the tradition that yeah. we're we're going to continue talking about with the next few songs. Yeah. But it, it it sort of fits into that notion of protest music. Oh, you know, that, and, yeah, absolutely. That's you know to it. give out about the yeah. way things are and yeah. um, and to reflect, I suppose. Uh, a dissatisfaction yeah. with and, and to have a megaphone for your generation yeah. Yeah. you know to yeah. say like you know we, we 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 feel terrible yeah you know we don't feel good and these are very dark days yeah you know and they're dark days in so many more ways than one and it's not just the political thing and i think a lot of young people who are now digital natives who are i think would suffer from digital loneliness what i would call mm. it a digital loneliness syndrome um feel that they're engagement with the ever-present phone, smartphone, which is a computer, but is also a surveillance device. They feel surveilled, but they have, a, again, I suppose, you know, it's almost like a drug-like dependence on the instrument, you know? Somebody said to me the other day, he said, if I went out the front door without my trousers, I wouldn't be so bad, but without my phone, I, I, Jesus, I, it would be terrible, you know? And it's that level of dependence but it's the surveillance piece. It's everything that you do at every moment is codified, owned, and leveraged for an outcome somewhere else. And, you know, I suppose it's just a simplistic thing to say, you know, if it's free, you're the product. Yeah. And I think that what a lot of young people are definitely feeling is a, a sort of a sort of an, an entrapped state, mm -hmm. you know, and um, I, you know, lucky enough at my age, getting very old now, but to be working with a lot of very young people. And you know, this comes up all the time. You know, I can't put it down. Yeah. You know, I can't leave Facebook, you know. But you'd say to somebody, you know, I mean, Facebook is, has injures democracy. Let's say, just, just, just as, as if you could say that, you know. Um, um, but nonetheless, we know it's a dangerous thing, but we can't put it down. Um, so... That implies a dependence to me, yeah. and um, you know, very difficult to change. And I think it comes out in songs like that, in 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 in, in places like that, and just a, a, an angry in broadside, full of invective, you know. Yeah, and I think in a way, it, it because I suppose you know, certainly with 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 the Yard Act, what we're, what it sounds like is it, it's 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 built up, so this is pent up. And there's no avenue to get it out except yeah. I, I'm going to get it out in this three or four minute song. That's because right. And then it's yeah. just going to spill out of me, you know. And this has been happening forever. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, the popular music is full of that. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, Nina Simone, you know, Mr. Backlash. You know, I mean, it's, you know, Bob Dylan. We could be, yeah. we could be, we, we could be at that for a long time, yeah. you know. But um, it's a great, it's a great release. It's a great release of pent up anxiety and worry. Yeah. And just to be able to say it out, you know, that we are living through these dark times and I don't know what to do. Yeah, and I think, I mean, moving, because the next two tracks actually just 
align nicely with that. Mm. And you know, one of them is, is Amazing Grace, mm. which you know came out of this frustration, say, about the slave trade mm -hmm. in in the nineteenth earlier part of the nineteenth century in England. Mm. And then the the second one is from the Dust Bowl, I suppose, you know, from the late 30s, early 40s in the United States mm -hmm. and would have originated. Now, they're not obviously original versions we would be hearing, but they're that sort of thing as well. It's, these are reaction, angry, righteous reactions yeah. to, to what's going on around them. You yeah, know? From, from two very powerful artists, yeah. really. Um, yeah. The first one is, um, I had the great good fortune to work with Daniel Lanois, and Daniel Lanois is a French-Canadian who was living in New Orleans at the time. He was been known as U2's producer. He produced a couple of records mm -hmm. for Bob Dylan, produced the Oh Mercy record, which is a wonderful thing, and he produced it in New Orleans. I met him in Dublin when he was producing for U2, and um, uh, we had a very interesting walk around Kalini, and um, we, we ended up walking back down Kalani Hill singing different versions of Little Sadie. And he had made a record that was really a French-Canadian record called Acadie. And it was acoustic music, basically. So we decided that what we would like to do is to make a film together. So we went from French-speaking Canada, um, where we worked with this family, came into this family that were you know, sitting there like Irish people, a bottle of rum on the table, playing tunes on the fiddle and singing into the night. And we found ourselves then in New Orleans, of course, which is Louisiana, which also has that French connection. And he was living there, and he said that he, want, he went there, he said, to find the bottom end, to find that, yeah. bass, that bass sound that he was looking for. And um, we, were, we were in his house, in his studio, um, on the edge of the French Quarter, and Aaron Neville of the Neville Brothers um, came in one day um, along with Carol King and Paul Simon. And we were filming, and we asked Aaron, would he sing a song? And Daniel had produced a record for the Neville Brothers called Yellow Moon, which Bob Dylan heard, and he heard them with God on our yeah. side, and he asked them to, etc. Yeah. But this version just happened in the room, and um, Declan Quinn, um, the great cinematographer, was working with me, and he rolled the camera and we hit the button as um, Aaron began to sing. And um, this is what he sang. And it was like astounding to be in the room mm -hmm. um, to hear it. It's sort of a, a remarkable day. And some years later, I was making a film um, called As I Was Walking Down Freedom Highway, which is called Freedom Highway, really, which is a, a line from a, a Woody Guthrie song uh, about the political anthems of... 20th century, and I spent some time in South Africa um, working with Hugh Masakela and Jonas Kwanga and the Soweto String Quartet, and which is another story in, in its entirety. But we found our way to the States, and um, we were in Buffalo in upstate New York, and we went to visit a, a singer called Annie DeFranco. She had just come back to Buffalo from California, and uh, she ran a record company called Righteous Babe Records. And was this powerful, um, visceral sort of singer. But we were talking about Woody Guthrie, and um, we asked her to sing a song for us, and she chose this. And again, that notion of migration and movement and movement of people, which is you know, so much with us right now after Afghanistan as people begin to get on the move again and we saw it with Syria and of course we ourselves were economic migrants and this is Woody's great song if, I, if you ain't got the door me which of course is the, 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 the migration of um, 
farming folk really from the Dust Bowl of Oklahoma to the promised land of California. But um, I think she inhabits the song. We were going to visit Pete Seeger the following day and uh, at the end of the song, she just said, you know, I hope Woody would like this. And as part of the same trip, I guess, that yeah. you recorded with Tom Waits. That's right. Um, we went from, from Buffalo and then we went back to um, the Hudson River and uh, Pete was living up the Hudson River with his wife, Toshi. And um, we were good mates by then. Uh, I had made a series called Bringing It All Back Home back in 1990 for the BBC. And I met, um, I met Pete at that time. And he was just very generous and very kind. And um, we went back there and then, then we went west um, to California. And um, the story is, I mean, there are two stories here. Um, I was looking for uh, Tom Waits and he's, he, he notoriously, he's notoriously sort of shy, if you like, really. And, you know, any sort of invitations that are offered, he usually turns them down. But... Um, I remember when we were trying to get in touch with him. Um, various different messages were left in various different places, the usual thing. And I was at home in West Kerry. I live about eight miles west of Dingle. And uh, the old telephone, before the, the mobile phone, the old telephone rang. And one of my children picked up the phone and said, uh, uh, phone call. I said, who is it? He says, a fellow called Tom. And... Uh, I said, I, I, I didn't, I, I just picked up the phone and said, hey, uh, Tom here. I said, I believe you're looking for me. And one thing led to another. And we ended up in Prairie Sun, where he records um, in California. And we were to do two songs. And we ended up sort of spending all day there and recording a lot of, a lot of bits and pieces. And I don't know if you know um, uh, Tom Waits at all, or you know his work, or you know, his, what sort of a person he is, but he is, um, he's, he's remarkably creative. Um, he definitely understands tradition, and he sings himself to where the singing comes from, in my view. Um, and he's just a remarkable guy. But the story that I remember from that day was he arrived, in, of course, in a pickup truck, as he would. And um, his son, Sullivan Waits, who eventually became his drummer, um, uh, was with him. And he, with him, he had a ship's piano, he had a banjo, an acoustic guitar, an old Dynacord electric guitar, and an amp. And we went into this barn of a place, and he said, OK. He said, I'll be right back. And himself and Sullivan went off, and they came back carrying a barn door with a hinge sort of um, attached to it that was swinging at the end of it. And he put it down on the thing and he sort of jumped up on it and he said, All right, I'll be right back. And he came back with um, a bent wood chair, which he put up on the, on the door and he sort of went, and it creaked and he said, oh, that's real good. And he went and he said, I'll be right back. And he came back with a tambourine, a hammer and a six inch nail. And he drove the nail through the tambourine and put it on the floor and went, <clears throat> <laughs> I said, I'm ready. Uh, and he proceeded to regale us for, you know, two or three hours, and we filmed the whole thing. But one of the things I wasn't expecting was um, him to sing this song. Mm -hmm. And um, I let him introduce it, and it was one of the great songs. It's one of the great, one of, one of the great, great 
protest songs and the great songs of, you know, injustice to a human being, um, written by the great Bob, um, one of his great, great songs. And just Waits talks about it at the, at, at the very beginning. You know, um, we know the way we often say in Ireland that uh, of, of a great singer, the singer doesn't sing the song, the song mm. sings them. You know, um, they're at one with the song. And, you know, Waits was like that with this song. And it's, I mean, such a powerful song in the hands of Bob Dylan, but there was something just so vis visceral and um, powerful in the way that he declaimed the song yeah, no. in that little room. Uh, the sensation I had was that his voice was, I was sitting like where you are, and his voice was like a whirlwind, just the power of it, really. Um, and the abandon with which he sang, and you know, every word was important. And as I was just thinking there, actually, Jared, that you know, Bob Dylan wrote that song. I can't remember the year, '64, '65, yep. probably. Yeah, '64. And um, you know, it was the classic tale of this woman who was a servant and killed by by this brutish young man, as described there, you know, with a tobacco farm and political power and clout. And of course, he was white. Um, and then you know, I was just thinking of Baltimore and thinking of Randy Newman, mm. old Baltimore, man, it's hard just to live. And you know, I, I, I did some, some, some conversations with David Simon, the guy who did The Wire. Um, um, and uh, again, just Baltimore, 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 yeah. and, you know, a place that was like a, a sort of a, a crucible of real difficulty for mm. African-Americans. You know, um, uh, but it's, it's amazing the way the songs can, you know, highlight the plight of a place, yeah. you know? And I think going back, it, it, it's like the way Waits talks about the, in the introduction about, you know, how, you know, there were so many newspapers, because Dylan has famously said about, about Hattie Carroll that he, he wrote it from the newspaper reports. The, the Baltimore Sun. You know, and, right. you know, so he was reading about this case. So this was live. It wasn't historic. Yeah. This was happening. He was reading about it every day, and he wrote this song out of it. And, you know, you know, I know the, 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 the guy, the protagonist involved in the song had sued. That's right. But was found guilty, you know, That's and right. they went back and they checked and they said, no, every detail in the song is correct because mm -hmm. he literally wrote it from the newspaper reports, you know, right. so, yeah. you know. And then as you think, you're right, it's really interesting that the place is Baltimore. Yeah. And, you know, and... You see it played out in Baltimore yeah. over the century, really, yeah. you know, um, yeah. um, in very dark and... Yeah. Um, Difficult ways. Yeah, and then I think like that, that brings us to your your next track is is kind of moving. You know, it, it's staying with that experience in a way because the the, the track is called a song for Asata, mm -hmm. and Asata Shakur was one of the the key figures in the Black Power movement in the, at the end of the sixties and early seventies. Yeah, and this is common. Yeah, um, with CeeLo Green and. Um, um, you know, I had worked in Philadelphia with some people when we were making Freedom Highway and sort of was around that world yeah. a little bit um, with a band called The Roots and, you know, um, um, Questlove and, you know, what he does and what he's been doing um, recently. I mean, he's the guy that put together the, the Harlem yeah. film uh, that has just um, resurfaced after, what is it, 50, 50, more than 50 years, which is amazing if you get to see it. Um, it's just, just, just remarkable stuff, and particularly the performance of Nina Simone is just seeing yeah. that backlash blues is just amazing. I, I just felt it 
to be to be so powerful. And um, one of my favourite records out of America in the last twenty years um, just captures again the, the the struggle and the difficulty for the African American right now. Yeah, and it doesn't I, get better, you know. No. No, it's still the, the story is still the same, you know? and it's still again like listening to, the, to 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 that track. It's like listening to the Tom Waits track or the Dylan track. It's reportage. That's right. You know, this is essentially pulled from the news or pulled like that was from that's right her her, her biography. You know, but yes. so it's reporting, but in a way that people can access it as well. That's know? right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And the, the next we're going to take the next three as a, as a group because yeah. they're, they're, they're really interesting in lots of different ways. But it was only when I was, when I was actually writing them I was thinking, oh, he died, he, he died, and he died, and he died. Yeah. You know, so there's, but there's this grouping of songs. So it's, it's Randy Scruggs, yeah. it's John Prine, and it's the Everleys. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Um, well, I mean, the first one is just one of the classic country songs, yeah. one of the great old Carter family tunes yeah. written by A.P. Carter uh, back in the day. And it was the beginnings, I suppose, of what we would call modern country, modern country music. And um, it's Emmylou Harris um, and Iris Dement um, singing um, Wildwood Flower, um, the old Carter family tune with Randy, with Randy Scruggs. With Randy Scruggs. Yeah. And, um, but I just, I, I just fell in love with this. I met Emmylou first when I was making Bring It All Back Home and she was just so kind. Uh, such a beautiful person, and um, opened every door for me in Nashville. She was just um, a doll in every sense of the word. But uh, but her singing, and of course Iris and herself, yeah. really have something going. We're talking about John Prine in a moment, but Prine and and Iris had a great thing going mm -hmm. as well musically. You know, yeah. so the what, a what a beautiful song, and the lyric of the song, of course, so mm -hmm. devastating. You know that it's a a broken down love story. You know. Yeah. You know, A.P. Carter and Mother Maybelle Carter alive and well in the voices of Iris and Emmy Lou singing in that, yeah. that, that high lonesome sound I was saying to Tiernan a little earlier on that when I met Ricky Skaggs for the first time, uh, we, we, were, we were in Jack Clement's studio in Nashville and um, himself and Donald Lunny and Paddy Glacken uh, played a version of the Blackberry Blossom and we were talking about sort of the tunes and the songs and that thing, the high lonesome sound. Mm. And uh, uh, Ricky Skaggs said, you know, he said that high lonesome sound, y'all, in Kentucky is the music remembering where it came from. And it, that's the sort of echo back to here, really. It's that sort of bouncing back. Yeah. And every time I hear Emmy sing and Iris, there's something of that in it. <clears throat> there's something of us in the DNA yeah, because, of, of that music. And I think if, if you listen, the melody in that song, it's, it's like the Dedanon track. Yeah, Do you know, it brings you back to this kind of loop that's come back to it, that it just bounces along. That's right, song. yeah. And of course, he left me with no word of yeah. farewell, yeah, you yeah. know, to be able to cloak the devastation of being yeah. left behind yeah. by a nasty man, you know. Um, and there it is, yeah. and there it is cloaked in sort of like sort of that beautiful, har sweet, sweet harmony. Yeah, yeah. You know, like like the clear, like the clear yeah. mountain streams. You yeah, know, you know from Appalachian. Sure, so. sure, sure. And then coupled with that, John Prine. That's well, I mean, uh, uh, far from me. Uh, like Prine just had everything as a songwriter. I always think of him as like Frank O'Connor or John McGahern or something, he's like a short story writer. Because if you listen to the lyric um, at 
the beginning of this song, the opening verse. Um, so as the cafe was closing on a warm summer's night, Kathy was cleaning the spoons. The radio played the hit parade and I hummed along with the tune. She asked me to change the station. The song just drove her insane. But it wasn't the record playing, it was me she was trying to blame. And then the chorus, and the sky is black and still now, in the hills where the angels sing, ain't it funny how an old broken bottle can look just like a diamond ring? You know, you know um, John, I met John again around the same time, probably 88, 89, 90. I'm going to be coming back to Galway to do a night for John on the 4th of October, which we're going to stream live from the Druid. And um, that'll be a thing. And some people are going to come and reminisce about John and his songs. But he was, I mean, Dylan referred to him as the great songwriter, you know. Um, I think of Daddy, won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County down by the Green River where paradise lay? I'm sorry, my son, you're too late in asking. Mr. Peabody's coal train done hauled it away. So when I met John, we had sort of vibrant beer drinking afternoons. Um, he made a record called German Afternoons, drinking German beer and um, playing some tunes, The Speed of the Sound of Loneliness. You could go on with, uh, with you know, there's a hole in daddy's arm <clears throat> where all the money goes. But I, I, this one for me um, it just has a short story, yeah. you know, I mean, as the cafe was closed and you're there Instant on a warm yeah. summer's night, yeah. you know, can't, you can smell the place, you know, it's just, uh, he just had that real ability to, in very simple terms, it's so difficult to do to tell it like it really yeah, is yeah. And, that you, and that the audience can feel it, yeah. that you feel it. Instantly. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Because we're not dealing with facts here, we're dealing with feelings. Yeah. And, you know, these are the emotional histories of a people really sort of in song, mm -hmm. you know. And um, it's, you know, it's been a, just my own journey has been, you know, just so enriched by meeting some of these people mm -hmm. along the way. And I think the... I mean, we could, have, we could have picked so many things from the Everly Brothers. I met Don and Phil again at the same time in Nashville. And this is one of their great songs. And I was, I was watching, there's a, if, you, if you're interested in, in the Beatles and Paul McCartney in particular, there's a, a thing called McCartney 321 on Apple Plus TV at the minute. It's just him and Rick Rubin sitting in a room on a soundstage and they have the Beatles archive tapes there and they put them on and they sort of say, how did you do that? And how did the piccolo trumpet happen in um, Penny Lane? And you know, that electric bass that you played, did you play it with a plectrum on my guitar gently weeps or whatever. But as they're talking, they talk about, McCartney talks about the Everly Brothers and he says that, you know, when John and himself were growing up, they used to want to sing and play like the Everly Brothers. And he said, um, John was Phil and I was Don. And Don died last week, yeah. as some of you probably know. And in my view, there's, without the Everly Brothers, the Beatles would not exist and Simon and Garfunkel wouldn't exist either. It was that, that, that really close harmony thing that they had, which was absolutely amazing. I mean, they, in 1958, they made a record called Songs Our Daddy Thought Us. And they sang several songs that would have antecedents in Ireland, Rose Connolly being one of the, those ballads, Darling Don't Let Our Love Die. And one of the most treasured moments I have in music was sitting in a room in Nashville with the late Liam O'Flynn, the piper, and Donal, 
and Roy Husky Jr., the, the bass player, and you know, when the Everly Brothers sat in a room and they started to sing, it was absolutely astounding. It was like magic. It was like, I would put it like, sanctifying grace of some sort pouring all over you. It just, the moment stopped because there was nothing like it. You know, it was just a beautiful, beautiful sound. And whether it was, you know, um, I'll Do My Crying in the Rain, which was written by Carol King and Harold Greenfield, or, you know, Kathy's Clown and all those hits that they had between, say, 56 and 65. Um, there was just something about them in the way that they sang. And of course, they came out of a well of tradition. Their father, Ike Everly, was a really good flat picking guitar player. Um, they began their careers on the radio, um, like many people did, doing sponsored programs. I don't know if any of you remember Radio Air and doing yeah. sponsored programs all those years ago. But they were like sponsored programs and, you know, Ma and Pa Everly, and um, they used to introduce the kids, and this is Don and Baby Boy Phil. And then they would sing something together, you know. It was just absolutely amazing. But I picked this track because it's... There's something almost strident about it, yeah. and it's 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 not as clean cut as the background. The other thing I think, just that I'm just riffing away here on myself, is that they were a crossroads as well um, between I think black music and pure country music um, because they took that rock and roll thing and that version of Lucille um, that they do, um, and you know. Saturday Night and I Just Got Paid, you know, Rip It Up. Yeah. You know, those songs, I mean, they could really do those little Richard numbers and um, they got on very, very well with them. But I picked this one because I think it reminds me so much of what the Beatles began to do, really. And it also has that Phil Spector wall of sound thing going on. It's just huge. And it's just the condensed sound of this thing, the wall of sound and this miraculous family harmony thing and just i suppose the 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 sassiness of temptation um, is just fantastic <laughs> so it's just such again inhabiting the song and singing with such sort of abandon and these are the days of like you know two track four track recording mm -hmm. you know there's no eight tracks or big multi-tracks you walked in the room you recorded the song you know yeah. in a three-hour session and you probably did two or three of them but they could do that sort of thing. And the other thing I, I remarked on when I was in the room with them and had the great good fortune to be in the room with them was when they sang, they never took their eyes off each other. They looked at each other all the time. They liked that. You know, they, they, and, and so it was, uh, there was, it, it was just that family thing, yeah. I guess. And I have triplet children and uh, three, little, three girls, but they're old now. But like, I was just thinking about this, that they acquired language slower than a single child because what I found out was that the acquisition of language is dependent on an eye line to the mother or the father. So you couldn't be looking at three of them at the same time, <laughs> right? So, but it, it just struck me with the Everleys, that family thing, almost like twins, yeah. that they had that thing. I mean, nobody could work out who was singing what. You know, if you tried to pick it apart yeah. like a child with a toy to work out who was singing what part. They could just do it. Yeah. And like Don said to me, like, I mean, they never actually had to 
they, 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 there's the song. They just they could they could just do it. And when you listen to it, there there isn't a wasted moment in it. Do you know mm. it, at the start and then its voice and a, a line finishes and the next line starts. Yeah. But of course, the thing is the ripple. Of yeah. course, is yeah. the ripple is that you know the Beatles. I mean, you can hear it. Yeah. You know, I mean, love me do, uh, can't buy me love. Those early songs, big hits, please please me in particular. It's there, yeah. that Everly Brothers thing yeah. is present. So both of them are gone now. Yeah. So I just thought it would be a nice thing just to sort of close me over and remember them. You know? yeah. And we're, we're, we're coming to the end now, Philip. So yeah. your, your last choice for now is, you know, because we, we could go on. When Philip sent me the list originally, with a very, very long list of songs. We could have we we sat here all night listening to some great stuff. Yes. But it's, it's Gillian, um, you Welsh. want to finish, yeah, Gillian Welsh, yeah. And um, David Rawlins, yeah. um, uh, Gillian, they wrote this song, it's self-explanatory really. Um, um, you know, when Spotify, or Napster rather, in about 2001 arrived, the economics of music as a business for the artist and the writer in particular changed forever. Um, because the dissemination, again, to go back to the phone, we can, everything is accessible now, you can just go, there it is, yeah. there it is, you know. You know, five million plays on Spotify will get the writer of the song, you know, two and six, or, you know, it's, it's it just, that's the way it is. And Gillian Welch was making this record, she'd been dropped, they'd been dropped by the record company, um, herself and David, and um, they had formed their own record company called Aconi Bell Records. And again, there's a purity in the singing and in the guitar playing here that has a touch of the very early Everly Brothers, that certainly has a touch of the Carter family. Yeah. And I'm not going to say anything about the lyric, but you just listen to it. And um, there's, there, there's some real anger here, I think, in the way that the message of this song is voiced. So just have a listen to this. And can I just say that it's a real delight to be here at the Galway Arts Festival. It's a delight to reacquaint with Tiernan. Um, we sold her together on the radio many years ago. <laughs> and, you know, we both love music. Um, it's been the guiding light of my life and has brought me um, on my musical expedition out to the world to remarkable places and remarkable rooms and I'm just entirely grateful that um, for the life that I've had in music and in capturing some of that music along the way. There it is, you know, that profound apathy and that sense in the song, you know, they figured it out, we're going to do it anyway, anyway. Yep. you know, even if it doesn't pay. And it's, it's a very difficult place you know, artists have been through a terrific trauma um, in the last two years. Um, um, existential crisis um, in a profound way in terms of income and um, no shows, but also emotionally bereft. And, you know, artists contribute to keeping us sane, ameliorating anxiety, giving us salve and succor and help. And, um, you know, I, I noted Hugh Lenehan's piece in the Irish Times, you know, to sort of say that maybe the state still doesn't fully understand um, the power and the profound effect that, um, and needed effect 
that um, art and music have for us all. And I think it's just encapsulated in that song um, in a very sort of beautiful way. There's, I think there's resignation and anger in it. And I think that resignation and anger is manifest in a lot of artists that I've met over the last couple of years. But, um, you know, we're going to do it anyway. And um, we're going to continue to do what we do anyway. And um, there it is. So I hope you enjoyed the music. Yes. Yeah. Great, Philip. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. I hope yeah. everyone enjoyed this. And I, great. you're right. I think, Philip. You know, they're going to, we're going to do it anyway. And music is so important to us. I think oh, that's yeah. that's well, the thing that. It's, it's our and you're right. I think it's our it goes, emotional language, yeah. isn't it? But you know, it goes back to as you said that yeah. I think that there's not a recognition of it because it's everywhere. So I think it's just accepted. Yeah. But it's actually really important to us as well. Yes, you know? um, it is. And maybe we could end, actually, just, uh, just as I was yeah. just thinking. I was thinking about Moya Cannon's poem, you know, Carrying the Songs. It was always those with little else to carry who carried the songs. Um, it's a, a beautiful poem if you ever come across mm. it. Um, have a listen. But then when I was thinking about and looking at the news and thinking about Afghanistan, um, you know, Jalaladin Rumi, the, the poet, was reputed, would, have, would have been born in what is now modern-day Afghanistan. And um, he has a beautiful poem that goes, um, and maybe this could bookend our chat. Um, um, let I see if I can think of it now. Um, oh, yes, he says, Don't worry about saving these songs, and if one of our instruments breaks, it doesn't matter. We have fallen into the place where everything is music. The strumming and the flute notes rise into the atmosphere, and even if the whole world's harp should burn up, there will still be hidden instruments playing. So the candle flickers and goes out. We have a piece of flint and a spark. This singing art is sea foam. The graceful movements come from a pearl on the ocean floor. They derive from a slow and powerful root that we can't see. So stop the words now. Open the window in the centre of your chest and let the spirits fly in and out. Thank you. For there that. you have it. Thank right. you. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you.